be in. And God's always calling his people out. And as I was reading Revelations 18, those words really jumped out at me. And me and the Lord had to talk about that because now we're going to make one message out of one little line of words. Called out. Called out. And God had to take me all the way back to Abram. How many of you know Abraham, Abram, was a pagan before the Lord called him? How many of you understand he lived among pagan people? And idol worshippers before the Lord what? Called him out. How many of you understand? Noah, in a sense, was called out and even separated from a world of sin, and God separated him and even enclosed him where he could not even help those that he may wanted to help. God called Noah out to do this, build an ark. And you can continue to see that God, through Scripture, calling his people out. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you and praise you, Lord, that you are constantly calling us to you. You're calling us out of erroneous teaching, false teaching. You're calling us out of a worldly system. You're calling us out of misgivings and misthinking. You're calling us out, oh God, that, Lord, that we can truly share your message and to understand how much you really love us. Thank you, Lord, for ministering to us. But I pray this morning that your Holy Spirit would speak to every heart. And that, Lord, those areas of life that might be messed up for us, those areas of life that we haven't let go of, that, Lord, that they might hear your call unto them to come out from that. And, Father, sometimes it's coming out from even living with those that you love. It's coming out, taking a stand against those who you love. Is coming out that we might be able to truly be used of your Holy Spirit to share your powerful message of Jesus Christ and his deliverance. Lord, minister to us, and Father, we'll give you praise and we'll give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. We're always being called out. It's a continuous call to the Christian. To come out and be separate. And sometimes that bothers us because we want to be accepted. We want to be involved. And God is always calling us out that we might glorify him and be used of him. Now, God's people must take heed to the call of coming out. If we don't, we have false thinking. If we don't, we even call evil good because we see it as good. We see it as the world might see it. We are constantly being called out 
from different areas of life because those areas of life will trouble us and distort the message of God. And we'll mingle it, God's message, with the message of Satan, and we'll get all confused. Understanding Satan uses half-truths to confuse us. Now, God is constantly calling us, but the question is, are we taking heed to it? One of the worst things happening in the church today is too many people who call themselves Christians are living totally opposite of what the word says. They live in mess, they live in confusion, they live in sin, they live as the world says is okay to live. Go with me to 1 Timothy chapter 6. This is something that Christians don't practice very often. But God's going to give us some things that we need to practice. And we need to live out. And we're going to apply it then with Revelation 18.4. Why God's calling his people out. Now understand, we serve a God that changes not. And if our God changes not, his word changes not. The same people who will be saved in the tribulation will be under the same expectation as we are to live godly lives, to live holy lives, to live lives that will glorify the Lord, even though it may cost them their life. It may cause us a little bit of embarrassment. It may cause us a little bit of shame. It may cause us to be talked about and laughed about. It may cause us because we stand up for the Lord. But it's going to cost them their life. In 1 Timothy 6, chapter 6, 1 Timothy, chapter 6, verse 11. And then we're going to go back to verse 3. He says, but you, man of God. Now you can also put woman in there or child in there. You, the woman of God. You, the child of God. But you, man of God, flee from all this. Flee from what? When he says all this, then what is it that we are to flee from? What is it that we are to separate ourselves from? Go back to verse 3. He says, if anyone teaches false doctrine, flee from it. Flee from it. We've gotten used to eloquent speakers. As long as the person can speak very eloquently and can entertain us and tickle our ears and say the things that we agree with and we can laugh at, we're with them. They're like Brother Wells said he's going to give his sermon. Jonah swallowed the well. There'll be a lot of folks listening to that sermon. Why? They don't know the word. And there's a lot of preaching going on that shouldn't be going on. And yet we accept it. But it's not coming from the word of God. If this book is not being opened and scripture is not being read from this book, you need to teach yourself to run from it. If not, you're just having a story time. That's all. You're having a moral lesson. That's all. 
And he says, flee from false doctrine. Come on down with me in this. And does not agree to the sound instructions of the Lord Jesus Christ. If they're not following the sound instructions that Jesus Christ laid down in this scriptures in the Bible, you need to flee from it. You need to run from it. You need to get away from it. That's what he's saying about the godly man. He'll flee from it. And there may have been those in the tribulation, they're trying to figure out what's being said by this false prophet. And they're kind of like, listen, and God says, come out from that mess. And he's saying that today to us. Come out. Come out. Because it's dangerous. It's like quicksand. It may look like you can jump into it and jump out of it, but once you're in it, what? You're stuck. And there's only one way you're going. Down. Unless somebody else, what? Gives you a hand to pull you up. Unless Christ gives you a hand to pull you out of your mess, out of your trouble, out of your erroneous teaching, you're sinking. You're sinking. And he says, sound instructions of our Lord Jesus Christ and to godly teaching. Flee from it. If it's not the pure instructions of the Lord Jesus Christ, get away from it. If it's not sound doctrine, get away from it. If it's not the teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ, flee from it. And he goes on and he says, He is conceited and understands nothing. The person that's delivering that message, the false prophet was conceited, puffed up with his own pride, used of Satan, and guess what? Understood nothing of God. Understood nothing of God. Understood nothing. He is conceited and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy interest in controversy. And you find that with the false prophet. It's an unhealthy interest because the interest is only about who? Me. Whatever the interest is only about you is unhealthy. It's unhealthy. When you're the only thing that matters, that's unhealthy. When you're the most important person, that's unhealthy. And I'm not saying you should not see yourself as valuable, but that's in the sight of God. Oftentimes when men and women see themselves as something, we put ourselves above what? Others. And when we look at the cross, we're all there the same. And he tells us, he has unhealthy interest in controversy or arguments and quarrels about words. What do you think God used? God used words. That's why he tells you to study his word, his scripture. Because those words are important. It's important to understand every word that comes out of your mouth is important. That's why God limits it, yay and nay, yes and no. Anything else is false. It's either yes or it's no. Oftentimes we speak in a way to please people, don't we? 
I do it too at times, and I have to catch myself. I don't want the person to get mad. I don't want the person to uh, get upset. I call myself sometimes giving myself a second chance with them, but it may be my last time ever talking to them, so I better share truth. When? Right now. Not to please them, not to make them feel comfortable. But oftentimes we want people to feel comfortable in our presence. So we won't talk about the things of the Lord. Now, can I give you a little tip? When you talk about things of the Lord, even with your children, sometimes you don't have to say, well, the Bible says. Sometimes you don't have to say, well, John 3.16. You don't have to give the address. You share truth. The Bible says, speak the truth. How? In love. If you catch their attention, you might be asked, how do you know that? Now I can share. But I don't have to come out attacking people, talking about the things of the Lord. I can talk about the things of the Lord, things that are not right, because they are God's principles and their truth. And I need to understand this principle. The truth is what sets people free. If they hear the truth, they'll be set free. Now, catch this, but I'm being preached to. But they're still hearing what? Truth. And that's what we want to share. We want to share God's wisdom that people keep coming back to us rather than us chasing them. But that they're coming back and we're sharing God's truth with them. And they're discovering that truth is setting them free. That truth is helping them to overcome things in life. That truth is bringing victory in their life. And they keep coming back. Nowhere when Jesus was speaking to the woman at the well did he really go and say, oh, you'll find this in the Old Testament, boop, 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 this book, that verse. He just talked to her. And that's all we need to do sometimes. Just talk with our kids. Talk with people. Share with them. How many of you around your dinner table take time to talk about something of the Lord? I used to do that around our dinner table. And I didn't say Bible. I didn't say turn to this or that. We just pick a subject and start talking. <laughs> but you talk scripture. You're talking God's word. You're speaking it into their life, into their heart. And he says, he wants to do what? Have controversy and quarrels over words that result in envy, strife, malice, malice talk, malicious talk, evil suspicions. And you know what he says? Flee from that junk. When somebody wants to argue with you over a principle of God, run from it. Not to stand there and debate a whole issue with them. Get away from it. But if they have an ear to hear, keep sharing. Keep, stay in the conversation. And he says, and constant friction 
between men of what corrupt mind. Look at what kind of mind the person has. Isn't it an evil mind, corrupt mind? Last week I was talking with a man and he was telling me about all his problems and he said, I got to go to court and boy, I don't know what's going to happen in court. Yes, I was wrong and he just went on and I said, you know, there's somebody I know who can intervene for you. I know somebody who can even talk to the judge before you even get there. You know. And we wound up standing on the street just praying. And my prayer was, God, would you show him mercy and show him your favor? I didn't ask him, well, man, you going to hell? Let me tell you something. Some people, you don't have to ask that question because they already know. What they don't know is how they would get to heaven. But they do know they're on their way to hell. And what they need to understand, there's somebody who loves them, cares for them, and has the ability to intercede for them. And he says, flee from that. Get away from it. Come out from it. Because they have corrupt minds who have been robbed of the truth. They've been what? Robbed of the truth. Can you recognize a person who has been robbed of the word of God, robbed of the truth? There are a lot of Christian families whose children that Satan has robbed truth from. They grew up in truth, but somehow Satan has snuck in there and robbed truth from them. And when you, even when you speak to them, they can't understand. They become very disrespectable, irritable. Oh, they got to go because you're talking about something they don't want to hear about. Why? Their minds have been what? Corrupted. Now that takes a healing process. And it doesn't happen overnight. Plus you need to recognize Satan is not going to give them up easy. Satan wants to hold on to them. Now you're in that spiritual warfare. But you want them to come out. But you need to understand one thing. It will not be your voice or my voice that calls them out. It will be God's voice. If they take heed to it. If they take heed to it. And he says, who have been robbed of the truth. That's why they're in the state that they're in. Flee from that. Flee from that. When you can't help that, flee from it. Get away from it. Why? It's an endangerment to you. And then he goes on. And who think the godliness is a means of financial gain? Prosperity gospel is all wrong. God didn't intend for everybody to be rich. Jesus himself said, the poor will always what? Be with you. But God intends, I don't care if you don't have nothing but $10 a week or if you have $100 a week, God intends for you to be the best steward of that that you can be. Because it's still a gift from God. And if you are proven faithful in handling the 10, he may increase it. Godliness 
It's not about somebody having a big home, a big car, fine clothes, or lots of money. Satan can give all that too. And we need to recognize that. And he says now, but you men of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness. What are we supposed to pursue? Righteousness. How many of you are running after righteousness? And then he goes on, he says, godliness. How many of us are practicing godliness? He says, now flee from these other things. Run away from these other things. But then run towards these things. Righteousness. Godly righteousness. Run towards it. How many of us are running towards godliness? Really want to capture it. Really want to hang on to it. Really want to make it a part of our life. That we're pursuing it. We're running after it. We're after that. We're running for it. And he says, boy, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith. How many of you are pursuing faith? Now, faith isn't when you're back against the wall, then you're going to believe. Faith is the moment something happens to you, you're saying, God, I'm looking for you to intervene. He's not your last resort, he's your first. But we got to practice that. Greg, would you go in the back and make sure the air conditioners are on? And, and that whole process, just got to flick the switch, I believe. But the whole process is that you have that area, are you pursuing? Are you going after? Too many of us as Christians have accepted the life that we live in with no idea of how to progress or move forward. And the way we move forward, we move forward by faith because we are a people who walk by faith and not by sight and we're believing God for his utmost for us but in that the question is are you pursuing his righteousness are you pursuing his godliness are you running after these things of God and you're the one who got to participate in that you're the one who got to do it and he goes on and he says boy uh, you pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. And he winds up in that verse 12. Fight the good fight of the faith. How many of you are fighting a good fight of faith? Or it's very easy for any demon to come along and rob you of anything that God has for you. How many of you are protecting the salvation? That God has given unto you. How many are living. The way God would have you to live. And you're coming out. You're practicing coming out. Coming away from those things. That hinders. You. Or your growth. In the Lord. Go over to 2 Timothy. Verse 2 22. 2 Timothy chapter 2. And come down into verse 22. Look what he says again. He says, flee. Same thing. You can say what he's saying over there. In 1 Timothy 6, when he says, flee from all this. He's saying, flee, over in that verse 22. Flee the evil desires. Now, guess what? We all have desires, don't we? And some of those desires are not always pure, holy, wholesome. Let's not kid ourselves. 
Christians have some bad desires. But because you have the desire, does not mean you have to act on it. It means you have to take it captive and bring it under the authority of God's word and submit to God, not to your desire. We all have that. And that's what he's saying here. Flee from what? Those evil desires. Flee from evil desires. First thing you got to do is say, it's evil, it's wrong. First thing they had to say in Revelation 18, 4, this is wrong, this is evil, this is against God. If you never say that, you won't run from it. If you never admit to yourself that this is against God's word, you won't leave it or come out from it. You'll stay right there. And you're the one that has to say, you got to evaluate it. And you're the one who has to say, boy, this is evil. This is wrong. I shouldn't be thinking this way. And you stop it right in the thought life before it ever takes fruit in action. And he says, evil desires of you and pursue again. Pursue what? Righteousness. So the Bible's constantly telling us what we should pursue, but it's also telling us what we should come out from. Now, the whole process in that First Corinthians, First Timothy six eleven, is that we're being called out. When God says flee, He's calling you out from something. Run from this. Run from it. Now understand this principle. If you are not pursuing the things that he's listed for us to pursue, you're going after worldly things. You're going after worldly things. And you're not going to see much change in your life. Because that which you are running after and that which you desire really will not be profitable for you. But if you run after the godly things, the things that are righteous in God's sight. You'll see your life slowly change. You'll see your life begin to take on a different manners and systems of living because you're doing it God's way rather than your way. And if you're not pursuing these things, you need to come to a place to say you are just a religious person with your own set of rules. You're trying to really get to heaven your way rather than God's way. Oh yes, you use the name of Jesus, but you're not following in the teachings of Jesus. And that becomes the problem. Now, we can get involved in a world system that the message of the gospel get lost. And we do that every day. We go to work, we, we get so involved in life that we almost forget about Jesus. If we didn't go to bed at night, that might be the only prayer that we had from the time we woke up to the time we go to sleep. But all during the day, we forgot about him because we're so caught up in what is called life and trying to get ahead and trying to be successful and trying to do this and trying to do that. God says pray without ceasing. All day long you can be what? In prayer. All day long you can be asking God to help you. All day long you can minister to other people. You can help other people. 
all day long, you can be talking with God. Prayer is just not a moment on your knees. Prayer is a constant communication with the Lord. And he tells them, boy, come on out. Come on out. You have to come out in order to challenge that which is not true. As long as you accept what people are doing as something that is truthful and that is okay with God, you won't come out. You'll still stay involved. You'll still stay locked to that style of teaching, and it's all right. Now, you can't challenge a teaching while accepting a teaching as truth. As long as you see it as true and it's okay, you won't challenge it. The Christian is called out of Babylon in the time of tribulation because God doesn't want them to get caught up with this system, this world system. Because if you're caught up in the system, it's hard to talk about it. It's hard to challenge it. So he's calling them out. Now understand this. Babylon is not a place. Babylon is not a territory. Babylon is a philosophy and a religious teaching of idols and of demons. We often think, because he's using the word Babylon, of a place, a geographical area that he's calling them out of. No, God says we're in the world, but we're what? Not of the world. So you're there, but you're going to stand for who? You're going to stand for me. You're going to shine for me. You're going to live for me. He's not talking about a territorial country, city, state. He's talking about a religious system, as we talked about last week. So. And he's saying, come out from that system. Because as long as you think it's okay, you won't challenge it. But the moment you say that it's wrong, now you'll challenge it with what you think is right. All down through Christian history, the Christian has been expected to hold to God's truth. In the time of tribulation, that is still true. Those who will call themselves Christians, those who have been born from above, those who say that they're saved, they've been saved by the same blood that you and I are saved by. They have the same obligations to the Lord Jesus Christ that you and I have. They are to stand. They have the same situation you and I have. Not to get caught up with our world that we lose the message of the Lord Jesus Christ. That they don't get so caught up with what the image is and what the false beast is saying that they lose the message of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they're under a bigger threat that if they speak the name of Jesus as it's coming, we feel the pressure. We feel the tension of the name of Jesus in our society today. But we cannot be pushed back from sharing Jesus. Why? There's no other name given under heaven and earth whereby men must be saved. There is no other way. So we share it. No matter what our consequences might be. We share it. 
And that has happened all down through church history. That God has expected his people to come out and stand. Every day we are being called out of teachings of our friends. How many of you listen to your friends before you listen to the Bible? How many of you run to friends for advice before you go to the Bible? We're being called out from the teaching of our parents. Now, I had some good parents, but a lot of areas in life they were wrong about also when I put it into the Bible. And I had to let that go, pick this up. You've got to run out from what society says is okay because everybody's doing it in your little community. So you jump on the bandwagon and it's okay. No, if God's word speaks against it, it's not okay. You have to be willing to take a stand even against your government when it comes to the things of God. You stand on God's word no matter what. And you have to stand against. Listen to me right now. One day me and Melvin, we're going to have to pick this up. What is liberalism? What is liberal churches? Well, the word liberal means non-restrictive. No restrictions. Well, something's wrong with that. Because if you're really going to live for God, there's a lot of restrictions he's put on your life. But there's a lot of things he tells you to do, too. There's more things he tells you to do than he tells you to stop doing. God isn't out to kill our joy or take away our fun. Oh, God just don't understand. He don't live down here. God lives up in heaven. God don't know what I'm going through down here. Yes, he does. And he knows when you're living life wrongfully and not holy and not pursuing him. He knows what's drawing your attention and he knows it's not him. See, a husband and wife should pick up very quickly when neither one is drawing the other one's attention. I think Donna would know very well when Donna, when James is not paying her no attention. I think James would know very well when Donna is not giving him much attention. I think any of us who've been married for a while know when the other person is not really giving us attention, they're giving that attention what? Somewhere else. And see, God knows that. If you're not giving him your full attention, he knows your attention is where? Somewhere else. Okay. Now, marriage is not for two men, it's not for two women. It's only for a man and a woman. A family is just a man and a woman. Children are icing on the cake. But the family is just a man and a woman. Nowhere in the Bible do you see that God sanctions two men being together or two women being together. But today, we say it's okay. They love each other. No, they don't. No, they don't. Any kind of language is not acceptable among Christians, but a lot of Christians, they believe they can cuss and use profanity and they blame it on the other person. Well, they made me do it. 
No, you're in control of this. And God holds you accountable for this. And James says sweet water and bitter water can't come out the same faucet. But a lot of Christians accept, oh, that's not going to stop me from going to hell. You're right, it may not stop you from going to heaven. And it won't put you in hell. But I can tell you this, you're not living the type of life God would have you to live. In Proverbs, he says, a soft answer turns away wrath. And when you're degrading somebody with your profanity, you're not building them up. You're not exhorting them. Money will not take care of all your problems or bring you happiness. But most of us believe, if I just have enough money, I'm trying to figure out how did the lottery get over a billion dollars and if they're giving away a billion dollars, how much money did they make? And those folks who wind up with it, sometimes they wish they never got it. They're never left alone. They got relatives that they never knew they had. It doesn't solve your problems and it doesn't bring happiness. Sex outside of marriage is not love. But the world has somewhat convinced us of that. So everything on TV that's jumping in and out of bed is in love. No, it's lust out of control. It's lust out of control. Now understand something. Yes, there are lustful men who can't keep their eyes to themselves. But there are some lustful women who can't stop showing off what they want men to look at. See, it's lust out of control. It's not love. Sex is not love. Now, these four issues, many Christians have come to accept. So we have a lot of churches who now accept gay lifestyle. And you can join them. You can be a lesbian, two women. You can be two men. You can be a transgender. You can be anything. You just come on in. I would never stop two women who are practicing lesbians from coming in and sitting in here. I would never stop two gay men from coming in. Why? I'm not going to change what I preach from that Bible. And the same rule applies to them. Faith comes by what? Hearing. And hearing what? Hearing the word. Now, they're limited of what they can do here. That's all. They're limited of what they can do. If they came up and asked for membership, no, because you got to be this, 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 and that. And I can take them to the word of God and show it to them. Why? But I'm not going to try to stop them from coming through that door. Why? I want them to come here. We had some gay men come up from Atlanta when I was pastoring down south. And them men came in looking better than the women. I mean, they had some hair. And they had some heels on. They had some dresses on. I mean, they, they outshined the women that were in the church. And the only thing I asked of them, when you come to church, we welcome you to come. But come dressed as men rather than women, because that's a deception. 
Pesach. I never told them they couldn't come. But they need to come dressed as men, not as women. Why? Our young kids sometimes don't see the difference. See? Now, I'm running out of time. And we got to get to another area that's vital. Why do we come out? Why not just go alone to get alone? And that's where the church has gotten to. We just go alone in order to get alone. We just go alone to have a large congregation. We just go alone that we don't go out of business. No, it's better to go out of business shouting the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because you can do that on the corner. You don't have to do it from a platform. We don't go along with sin or wrongfulness just to get along. Now, Augustine says, I believe that an unjust law is no law at all. You heard that. Many people remember that from the great debate. Augustine said it. Augustine said it. The whole issue is this here. It's the starting point. It's the starting point of our conversation. This is what is wrong. Sometimes I do this with my grandchildren. This is wrong. Well, why is it wrong, Grandpa? Now we can talk about it. It's the starting point of a conversation. I'm not involved in it. I'm not living in that. But I know it's wrong because God's word says it's what? It's wrong. That's where we pick up the conversation now. And we come out. Go back to Revelation 18. Let's see why we're coming out. Why God is calling us out. Why he's calling them out. He says in verse 4, Then I heard another voice from heaven say, Come out of her, my what? My people. First of all, God defined that he's not calling everybody out of it. Because everybody is not his what? His people. Understand this principle. God is only responsible for his children, not Satan's children. He's only responsible for those who have been saved under the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's responsible for to keep them. Jesus said, I have lost none. He's responsible for them. And he says, my people come out. He didn't call all people. So he preferences that with my people. My people. When you call your children in for dinner, are you calling the whole neighborhood? You're just calling who? Your children. You're not calling their friends and their friends' friends. You're calling your children. That's what God's doing. He's calling his children. He's calling his children. And he says, come out of her, my people, so that you will not share in her sins. Do what? Share in her sins. How do we share in the sin? We share in the sin when we agree with the sin. We are share with the sin when we don't speak against the sin. We share in the sin when we help them sin. See, one thing, my son, 
daughter-in-law, any of my children, they knew one thing. Yes, because you live a distance, they were not married, you can come and stay, but you're not in the same. That's right. Now, a lot of parents will say, oh, they grown. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And if I don't set the example, what are they going to do? I don't care if they're 50 years old. If they're not married, what you do outside my home is one thing. What you do in my home is another thing. Now, if you want to go get a hotel room, that's up to you. You're grown. But if you're in this house, he's in one room and you're in a room. Okay. When you come to this house, you're grown. You may cuss all you want to cuss out there. And my brother Zalis, ZB, had a cussy mouth. Every other word was something that shouldn't be said. But when he hit 1080 Packard Drive and mom said, shut up, it stopped. But he knew when he hit there, the profanity had to stay outside. See, there ought to be certain rules that are in your home or that is around you that when they're in your presence, there's a certain action that comes from them because they know you will not allow it. Now, I can be in their home. And they started, I know how to leave. Whenever they start something that I don't agree with, I know how to get up and leave. But there's too many of us as parents and grandparents that won't take a stand for the Lord and the children to do anything they want to do and the great-grandchildren do anything that they want to do that they don't understand there's a standard, there's a boundary, there's a limit. And he says, come out. And for God's people, they need to hear his word and come out. And he says then, come out that you won't share in their sins so that you will not receive any of their plagues. That, that is something not talked about much in many of the different theories that you will not suffer their plagues. I don't know what God's going to do because see when the famine hit, we all going to go hungry. But if I got peanut butter and jelly, I'm, I'm okay. It may not be what I want, but God says that he will provide my daily what? My daily bread. And somehow in that plague, during those famines, God's people, they come out from it. Somehow God is going to do some miraculous thing in their life to provide for them. I don't know what it is, but he's going to do it. Because he just says that they will not receive any of her plagues. Now, why come out? Go back up to verse 2. Give me about five more minutes, Vic. I can't, boy, I took my glasses. Yeah, I got ten minutes. Okay. And in verse 2, go back to verse 2 with me. Look what he says in 18. With a mighty voice, he shouted, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. Why has she fallen? And what is God calling his people out of? Check what he says. 
She has become a home for demons. Let me ask you this question. Has America become a place for demons? Our government is writing things against God's word and saying it's lawful. And yet God's word is very clear. It's sinful. It's wrong. Are we making a home and a place for demons? Are you making a place in your home for a place for demons? Does it matter if your child come in smoking their joint? Does it matter if your child come in your house with their fifth? Does it, come, does it matter if your uh, child come in your house talking about, what an old man? See, I ain't never been called by one of my kids an old man. I show them how, how a young man acts. I might fall down trying it, but I'll try. The, the whole process, there's a standard that we need to set. And he says, it's become a place of demons. Well, demons are there, and we go back to First Timothy again, where chapter 3, I believe it is, where he talks about demons teach. All you have is evil teaching of demons. Look what's happening to our public school. Demonic teaching. Based on the fact of acceptance and tolerance. But it's demonic teaching in many areas. Because we're supposed to accept this and we're supposed to be tolerant towards this. And that's demonic teaching. And he says that they have become a home for demons. Is your home a place for demons? How do you know if your home is a place for demons? Look at your home. Look at the pictures on your home, around your house. Are there pictures with women half-dressed? Men half-dressed? What kind of pictures you have hanging on your walls? What are some of the sayings you have on your wall? What comes through your TV? What's your conversation in the house? You can tell whether or not if Satan has a foothold in there. By what you watch, what you read, how you talk, and what you got hanging on the wall. Sometimes you can look down at the table. There's a Playboy, there's a this one, there's a that one. You can tell if there's demonic activity in the home. When you hear those words, you be, you better. Demonic activity is in that place. When you hear F you, demonic experience in that place. And then he goes on a little further. He says, and a hut of every evil. Now, a hut of every evil spirit or every unclean, detestable bird. The word hut means frequent. It don't happen occasionally. It don't slip. We didn't got comfortable with this. It's frequent. See, a lot of Christians have got comfortable going out to the bars on Friday night and Saturday night. They've gotten comfortable being around people who do a lot of swearing and cussing. 
They didn't got comfortable being around people who is chasing somebody else's wife and his wife is chasing somebody else's husband. We ain't got comfortable with that. Frequent. So we frequent those places. And he, he goes on in that word hunt. He said, it's to visit it often. There are those who visit Satan's den more than they visit the church. There are those who are out in Satan's world doing Satan's work more than they are doing God's work, but yet they will say, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. And he goes on, he says, it's to associate with. Now you might say, well, I'm not doing it, but are you associated with it? Are you giving approval to it? Are you laughing about it? Are you wishing you could do it, but just something holds you back from doing it? Oh, I want to do it. You're associated with it. And then he comes back and he says, it's something that you begin to practice. If you're around, what's that little saying? Birds, birds, yeah, y'all got it. And, and, and the whole thing, if you're around that enough, guess what? You start doing it. But yet, you're supposed to be a Christian. So you're running after these things. You're pursuing that rather than pursuing the righteousness and godliness of God. That's what makes the difference. And the word hunt says you pursue it. You pursue that thing. That's why it's no longer uh, once in a while. It's very frequently that you're doing it. And he goes on. Why come out? Because the word says in John seventeen fourteen, you're in the world, but you're not of the world. Come on out of that mess. Come on out. And then when you look at Revelation 5, 9, Revelation 12, 17, 14, 17, we may pick this up, but the, the whole process is this here. The blood of Christ. Have you been washed in the blood of Christ? Have you been cleansed in the blood of Christ? Are you truly saved? That's why God's calling his people out. Because you're not that. You're not that. Come out from that teaching. Come out from that falsehood. Come out from that foolishness. Yes, it may cost you something. But come out. And then the very last... You come out because your name is written in the book of life. Your name is written in the book of life. Now understand this. If your name is really written in the book of life, you're going to come out. You're going to come out. You're going to come out. If it's not written there, don't worry. You'll become comfortable right where you are. You will accept everything that goes against the Lord Jesus Christ. Because only thing you do, you become a convert. You understand a lot of Christians are becoming converts to Islam. The question is, were they really saved? The question is, was the name written in the book of Lamb? 
in the book of life? Is your name really written in the book of life? Is your name really there? If your name's not there, you'll stay right in that filth. You know, there's one thing about a mother's voice. Vic, did you recognize your mom's voice? Yes, sir. Donna, did you recognize your mom's voice? Beth, did you recognize your mama's voice? Oh, you still recognize it. (laughs) You can be in a place and mom can stand outside the door and yell your name. That's my mom. And that's the way it is with God. God is saying, come out. You recognize his voice and you come out of the destruction that is there. You hear him, you know it's his voice and you come out. And remember what the scripture says, my people, my people come out and if you're his he's still calling you out of the world he's still calling you out about your maybe your profanity your lying he's still calling us out at what we look at and how we picture it up here He's still calling us out. God is still correcting us. And he's continuing to call us. Are you pursuing righteousness, godliness, faith, and love? Or are you chasing after the other things that somewhere have lost the attention of God? See, the best thing you can ever do before we go to communion is this. Thank you for coming and hearing on Sunday. Thank you for tuning in to Melvin for Sunday school. But the best thing you'll ever do to build your faith is you open your Bible at your table and allow you and the Holy Spirit to commune together. That's the most richest and rewarding time when you ask God to feed you. He'll do it. Father, we thank you and praise you, Lord, for your word. And we thank you, Lord, that as a people of God, you are calling us out, calling us out of the world, the thinking of the world, and the successes of the world. You're calling us unto yourself. And Lord, would you continue to do that? Call us out of the false teaching, the false thoughts, the false thinking. Call us out of our own darkness that we're entrapped in. Call us out of our unforgiveness. Call us out that we can forgive. Call us out that we can be free 
and totally liberated to serve our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, thy knoweth the things that each and every one of us are involved in. You know the things we're entrapped in. But we've been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. And Satan has no hold on us if we will follow your commands and we will hear your voice. You will guide us out. Out from our darkness into your light. Minister to us, Lord. And we'll give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. As you prepare your hearts for communion, would you start asking the Lord to just deal with you? Don't worry about your neighbor. But Lord, what do you want me to do? Lord, I want to thank you that you have prepared this table that I might come and I might come being cleansed in the blood of my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Knowing that I'm totally unworthy. Knowing, oh God, that I'm still dealing with some messes in this world. But right now, Lord, I ask that, Lord, you'll forgive me and you'll wash me and you'll cleanse me that my mind can focus on this table, on what Jesus Christ has done for me. Let me not just take this table as a monthly practice, as just something the church do, but let me hold it in the sacredness that it is. That it is my testimony that Christ is coming again. It is my testimony that he is my Savior and my sins were hung on Calvary with him. It is my testimony that I died with him at Calvary. It is my testimony that I rose from the grave when he came forth from the grave. It is my testimony that I am in heaven with him right now, though I'm presently here on earth. I am hid in Christ right now. Let this table have a deep meaning for us. Let us reflect that we are still saying to a dying world, that the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords is coming again. And we give testimony of it. Thank you, Lord. Men, would you come? Blood. I know it was the blood. I know it was the blood for me. One day when I was lost, he died upon the cross. I know it was the blood for me. I know it was the blood, I know it was the blood, I know it was the blood.
the cross I know it was the blood for me God gave his only son God gave his only son God gave his only son for me betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body. Have you ever taken time to ask yourself, what did the apostles or those who were with Jesus at that time, what might have they said? What is he talking about? This is my body. And he's sitting right there. It's a symbolicness that his body, just like that bread was given for their nourishment, that his body would be given for their life. And then he goes a little further and he says, we had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. As you partake of this, will your mind be somewhere else? Or will you focus upon the one who gave you life through his own body? How did he do that? He became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. And he moves on, he says, In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. What's a covenant? It's simply a promise. But every promise in the Old Testament was sealed by blood. And he says, I'm sealing every one of my words. That is a promise unto you. I'm sealing that in my blood that that word will be true 
that word will have a cleansing effect because I'm sealing it with my blood. And he says, do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. He wants our focus. He wants our attention on him. There's no excuse for not partaking of this table if you're a Christian. Other than that, you do not want to focus on Jesus Christ. This is a breaking moment. It breaks you free from the things of the world. It breaks you free and reminds you of the promises that he has made unto you that he's going to keep. That your full attention is on what he gave and what you are to receive through his word. He says, do this in remembrance of me. As we partake of the bread, we do this in remembering that he gave his body for us should we partake. And as we partake of the cup, We do this knowing that we live under a new covenant that has been sealed by his blood. And every word in it is true because he has sealed it with his blood. Should we partake? Father, we just thank you and praise you that in the busyness of life and within all of our problems and all the crises and all the things that's going on in our world, the fires, the killing, the sicknesses, the diseases, that, Lord, we can take a moment and reflect on you. We thank you for this time. Because you knew there would be such a time in our lives that would cause all of our attention to be drawn over here and over there and everywhere else that you draw us back to yourself. Back to remember you. Back to reflect upon you. Back to give thanks to you for what you have done and you're yet going to do in our lives. Lord, we thank you. And we do this, oh Lord, in remembrance of you. Our minds are upon you. Our minds are upon you. Our minds are upon you. May your Holy Spirit commune with each one of us right now that we might focus totally upon you. Forgetting about the cares of this world, forgetting about my own sickness, forgetting about 
this over here and that over there, forgetting about my financial situation, forgetting about my troubles, and just focusing on you and saying, thank you, Lord, thank you, Lord, thank you, Lord, thank you. We do this in remembrance of you. Thank you, Lord. Please don't do it without me. Don't do it without me. Lord, whatever you're doing in this season, please don't do it without me. Don't do it without me. Lord, if you're healing, healing in this season, please don't do it without me. Don't do it without me. Lord, if you're healing, healing in this season, please don't do it without me. Don't do it without me. Lord, if you're blessed, Don't do it without me. 
Come on, I need you right now. Whatever you don't do, Lord, don't do it. Whatever you do, Lord, to do in these last days would you include us would you oh God call us out from the areas of this world that we might be your light that we might be your testimony we might be your witness that we might be a people of God who know that our name is written in the book of life And that we're not of this world. And we don't live like the people of this world. That our citizenship is in heaven. And we're on our way home. Lord, whatever number of days we have. Oh God, our prayer is. You call us out of our darkness. Into your marvelous light. And you use us, Lord, for your glory. And Lord, give us a mind and a heart that will never be ashamed of your word. That will speak your word wherever you place us. We'll speak your word to our children, grandchildren, to our neighbors, to those on the bus, to those who we work with. We will share your word, oh God. Lord, call us out that we might truly be the people of God and know for that we are your children. We are born from above. We are saved, sanctified, and filled with your Holy Spirit. We're yours through and through. Minister to us, Lord. Now dismiss us in your love. Dismiss us, O God, your authority and your power as we go forth. And we'll give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thanks for for kidding me. Don't do it without me, Lord. Don't do it without me. I need you. Don't do it without me. Oh, yes. Don't do it without me. Don't do it without me. Don't.